The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the Humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. This is Dooley Noted. Everything Florida Gators with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another edition of the Dooley Noted podcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on. A little bit later in the show, Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times will join me. We'll talk to him about the Gators and Knowles and Canes and, our, and AP ballots and stuff like that. Uh, we're both AP voters, which we, I think we both take fairly seriously. I'm not sure everybody does, but we do. Um, Obviously, Florida, Tennessee, you know, I know my, my daughter who's um, a student now at Florida, and she's allowed to be a fan, uh, as you know. I'm not, but she is. She called me up and she goes, Dad, it's Florida, Tennessee hate week. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it, I guess that's what they used to call it in the old days. But it hasn't felt like that big of a deal this week. A lot of it is because of the circumstances as to who the quarterback will be for Florida – you know, people are excited to watch Kyle Trask play. People are fired up about that. Uh, and whether how much they'll see of Emory Jones, people are excited about that. They're not thinking as much about Kentucky. Um, the question I've gotten more than any question this week has been about whether Florida would have won if Felipe Franks had stayed in the game. And I've got answers to that, but I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. If Kentucky had continued to play the same defense, um, you know, they, could Franks have done it? Yeah, probably. But was he? Would he have made that pitch play? Probably not. That's not a Felipe type of play. I don't know the answer to that. But you know, there's not. It's almost like fruitless to even discuss it because he's not. It's like somebody asked me uh, the other day why I didn't ask Mullen. Uh, why he was why he was staying with Franks? I'm like, what's the point? What's the point anymore? Felipe's done for the year. Just worry about what you have now, and that's I don't know. That's kind of my philosophy. But anyway, um, Robbie and I were talking about this earlier today because look, we've lived through a lot of Florida Tennessee games because we're old. We all know that, and we've lived through a lot of them. Um, and, and some of them have been tremendous. Uh, luckily, during our time covering the Gators, uh, we've mostly seen Florida win. Uh, I think I heard a stat the other day that Florida's won 23 of the thir- last 30 or something like that. I know they've won 13 of 14. Um, you know, all the, all the series wins for Tennessee, not all of them, but a majority of them came back in the olden days back when I was just a kid <laughs> or I wasn't even born. It's hard to believe that time ever existed. They should, instead of BC, maybe it should be, uh, or AD, it should be AP after Pat was born. But I'm kidding, of course. Please don't take that seriously. Um, so we were talking about Florida fans whether they because we were talking about Miami game remember I said how nervous are you and most Gator fans before that game the level of nervousness was not that high 
And I thought it was a little misguided, the confidence level that Gator fans had in their team and disdain for Miami's ability to win the game. And let's face it, if Florida had executed the way they should have, they would have won the game fairly easily. We've been over that. If they executed against Kentucky, they would have won the game fairly easily. And now everybody who says Kentucky should have won that game, well, A, they didn't. And B, if Florida's two touchdowns aren't called back by holding penalties and they don't throw a dumb pick there early in the game, um, don't get a pass interference that wasn't a pass interference. I mean, there's a lot of things that could have changed in that game, and Florida could have won the game easily. However, when you're up 21-10 and the backup quarterback's coming in, you usually think you're going to win that game. So I get that, but I think it's a little misguided to say Kentucky should have won the game. But your level of nervousness, if you're a Florida fan, if you're not, that's fine. I love that people, other people listen to this show who aren't Gator fans, and um, I, and by the way, just wanted to say, I've got some unbelievable emails from people, uh, especially people who live outside of our area, far away, uh, who have been very complimentary. And I really appreciate uh, that. And look, if you've got criticisms, I like them too. I don't like them. I, I will certainly read and respond to them. Um, you know, we're not dealing with the greatest equipment here. So yes, you do occasionally hear me take a breath. I'm sorry about that. I can't, I can't do anything about that, but we've gotten some really nice, uh, emails from people who enjoy the podcast. And I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I, I like doing it and it's been fun. Uh, we're going to do two next week, even though it's Towson. Okay. We're still going to wrap up the, um, Tennessee game. And I don't know how much we'll discuss Towson. Okay. Towson's actually pretty good for their level. So um, who knows who's going to be healthy for Florida by then? I mean, it's been a weird year in that re- that regard. And Dan Mullen says something that was, was pretty poignant, I thought, the other day, that it feels like Florida's been practicing you know, and playing games for a long time here this year. They've had one home game. So now three in a row, and this is a time because – we all know what's what's eventually coming down the road. This is a, a time for Florida to take care of business, and it's a uh, you know it's a game that Florida's a fourteen point favorite, so they should win, you would think. But the level of nervousness it's still there, I think, for a lot of fans. In fact, I wrote a column that ran in Thursday's paper about what's gone wrong at Kentucky, at uh, Tennessee. And I already got a couple people responding. Stop it! They can beat us. You know, don't don't think that this is going to be an easy game. And I don't. I, I think it is going to be a difficult game. I think every game for this team will be difficult, except for. But actually, UT Martin was difficult. I don't know about Towson. I, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to them or, or teams they play down the road. But this team has a way of winning games, and this coach has a way of winning games, but it doesn't mean it won't be close. I'm going to take a break right now. When I come back, I'm going to tell you five pros and five cons on why you should or should not be nervous. Random by Robbie, because he's the one who brought all this up, so he gets either the the blame or the credit for some of this. But right now, we'll take a break. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better. 
And that means treating people better with friendly, personal service that's kept our members happy since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when you enter the branch, an online or phone chat for those quick questions, and a call center that's open every day. If you believe that great service is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Tailgates and Gator Winds call for the best cigars available from around the world. Pick your sticks today and save at the Florida family-owned site, thehumidor.com. Get free shipping on every cigar order. Find boxes from the biggest brands, samplers hand-selected by top tobacconists, or pick your own single sticks. Thehumidor.com, going the distance for fine cigars. All right, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, All right, so here we go with the, with the pluses and minuses. So for every plus, I'll have a counter-argument. And I don't know which one will end up being true. Number one, Tennessee can move the ball. They have moved it against every team they've played. They put up a lot of points, obviously, against Tennessee, Chattanooga. They put up, uh, you know, it should have been enough points against Georgia State. Uh, they didn't put up a ton of points against Utah, but they were well over 400 yards. I mean, not Utah, BYU. God, boy, you better not confuse them if you live out there. All right, so that's the that's the con, I guess. That's why you should be nervous. Here's why you shouldn't, is who they play. Now, I know Coach Mullen was talking about, you know, you see saw what BYU did to Southern Cal, and that, that makes that game look different. And Georgia State, you know, obviously caught them by surprise. And I'm like, Georgia State just lost fifty-seven to ten to Western Michigan, um, and and as you know, one of my basic philosophies in life, one of my duels rules, is that every game is its own game. So what you compared to scores, I don't care about. I watched Tennessee play that whole first game, parts of both of the other games, and uh, it's not like they played a team like Florida. So that is the pro, why you shouldn't be as nervous maybe as you are. Uh, Number two, it's Tennessee. Yeah, you better be nervous. Tennessee, the Vols. Man, we have seen some unbelievable Florida losses to Tennessee. The 2001 game, Gator fans who were there or Gator fans who were into the program that aren't millennials or aren't teenagers – you're never going to get over that that loss. That was brutal. And we all know what happened the last two times Tennessee was here. The Vols were in position to win um, the game. Or, you know, the funny thing about both those games is Florida was handling their business and then Tennessee rallied in both of them. And then, of course, what happened at the end of both of them was spectacular. The first the pass to Callaway from Will Greer. Then the... Um, Obviously, the heave to Cleve. So, um, it is Tennessee, and and Tennessee is a rivalry game, right? The pro, it's Tennessee. <laughs> Tennessee's been awful. Tennessee. This is in was in my column the other day. I looked this up, figured it out because I'm a math whiz, and I probably got it wrong. But Tennessee has the second fewest wins in SEC play since the conference went to uh, 14 teams. that that I, Who would have ever thought we would see that day? 
The only one that has fewer is, is uh, Vandy. Kentucky has the same number. And, of course, Kentucky's program's in way better shape right now than Tennessee's is. And Ole Miss technically has fewer because they had to vacate a bunch, but they would have more if they didn't. So I, I saw those games, and I, I count them. Uh, number three, it's the first start for Kyle Trask in forever. He probably doesn't remember what it was like to run out there and take the first snap. And it's kind of funny. I wouldn't be shocked to see Emory Jones run out there and take the first snap. Just to let Kyle take everything in for a minute. No, I'm not saying that'll happen. In fact, I don't think it'll happen. But it wouldn't shock me. Kyle Trask's first start. That makes you a little nervous? No, we're all into Kyle Trask, right? Everybody's on that bandwagon. No, but the the pro here, I, I don't know if I'm confusing you on this, is that he seems ready. He was prepared for that game. He was prepared to go in. Quick change. He's been preparing for this really his whole life, for this opportunity. And he's got a good teacher, not only in Dan Mullen, but Felipe Franks, who's been to all the practices, who has been to all the meetings, and is helping him out. This is the opposite I think I mentioned this earlier last in the earlier podcast of Will Greer, who bolted once he was suspended and did not help Treon Harris. Um, I don't know if it would have done any good. They still scored 28 points in Baton Rouge that Saturday night. But Trask seems ready for this moment. Now we'll see. We'll see how he does. But it's a, it's a different dynamic. And I know there are Gator fans who will tell you, because I've heard it from them, yeah, Florida's in better shape now with Kyle Trask in there than Felipe. That's because you've seen Felipe. You've seen the mistakes. You've seen his warts. You've seen what he does poorly. And one of the things he seems to do poorly is um, just understanding, not understanding the offense, but just kind of grasping what's going on during a play sometimes. Um like that first interception, which was just terrible. You got to throw that ball out of bounds. You can't. You can't just throw it up for grabs at the five yard line. But you haven't seen Kyle Trask. Oh, well, I watched the spring game. I don't care about the spring game. I don't care. He's had three great quarters. His last three quarters: uh, Missouri, UT Martin, and this game, uh, Kentucky game. But this is a different animal, man. We'll see if he is ready. Um, Number four, it is a rivalry game, and that should make you nervous because they're going to want to make us – they're going to want to get this rivalry back, okay? It's it's a big deal to Tennessee to to say, hey, now we've beaten you two of the last three. The rivalry on, right? And, and the concern I have is you heard LaMichael P. Ryan at SEC Media Day say it's not a rivalry game anymore. But I still go back, and this is the pro on this, that Coach Mullen learned a lot from, from Urban Meyer, and one of them was making rivalry games important. And Meyer's record in rivalry games was ridiculous. I think, am I right about this? He only lost two. The last one to FSU... And the one to Georgia, 
Never got beat by Tennessee. Beat Miami the only time they played him. I think that's correct, but I may be wrong. Don't hold me to it. Um, but I feel like Coach Mullen will get this team ready to go and fire it up. And finally, number five, uh, the what we don't know about players, injuries wise. C.J. Henderson, obviously, Zaniga, obviously. We'll find out a little bit more. You know, there was kind of a telltale sign when Grenard was in there Monday, and he said, yeah, I just found out Zaniga's not playing. And we're like, whoa, whoa, what, what, what? But they're listing Zuniga as possible, possibly playing. It's probably going to go right up to a game time. But like like Mullen said, both Henderson and Zuniga, are, they don't need to practice for, for a game like this. They, they know what they're doing. If they're healthy enough, they put him in there and they'll be fine. But also, don't forget Donovan Steiner is out for the first half of this game because of a, of a targeting. And, um, you know, we were having an interesting discussion. I'm getting off to- topic here, but you know I tend to do that. Let me just give you the pro on that first. The coaching matchup, I uh, there's not anybody in the world, and that includes Tennessee fans, who would not rather have Dan Mullen stand on their sideline than Jeremy Pruitt. Okay, I don't. And again, I go back to what I'm saying. I'm not saying Tennessee can't win this game. I see a path for them to win the game. They hit those big wide receivers early. They get up on Florida. The the Traskas feel feels pressure early. They Florida turns it over. There's a path that for them winning. I still like Florida in the game, and I certainly like it partly because of the coaching matchup. Um, so I was I was speaking to the this is where I go off on the tangent. I was speaking to the Ocala quarterback club and Mike McGinnis, who is a former SEC official, good friend of mine. I love talking to him about things. And somebody asked him if um, if he felt like targeting's penalty was the right penalty, and he felt like it did. And what I said was, you know what, um, Mike? Here's my feeling about it. It's the right penalty in terms of You've got to discourage this from happening. And unless it's punitive, you're not going to discourage it from happening. It has been reduced, certainly, except for the game we just saw where there were three of them. I think the more intense the game, the more likely they are to happen. So it's, But it's been reduced. Guys are, are learning not to lead with the crown of their helmet. Uh, there was a Kentucky fan there, and he was mad still about the targeting, but you go watch them, and they were upheld for a reason. You lowered your head, and you hit a guy in the helmet. You can't do that. It's a rule. Whether it's a good rule or not, it's not the point. It's a rule. So, but I said, I think it's it's a right penalty in terms of it has to be punitive to discourage players from doing it. However, I think it's excessive in terms of the punishment in real life. Like Donovan Steiner got called for targeting, he targeted. There's no question about it. But to miss the first half of a game that has nothing to do with the game that was just played, to me, is excessive. However, like I said, I think you've got to make it punitive. I think missing the first half or the second half of a game, even you know, I guess like maybe they should change it so if it happens in the last seven minutes or last five minutes of the second half, you have to miss the first half. But if it happens on the first play of the second half, I'm not sure you should have to miss it the first half of the next game. Am I making any sense? Probably not. Okay. All right, let's move along, and, and we'll wrap up the Cash Daniel controversy. There was a 
video that was taken from the sidelines by a TV station up there, WYMJ, that again shows Cash Daniel clearly is doing something down there. He he made a statement, said, look, I was trying to get my arm out from underneath the lineman. No, he wasn't. We all know he wasn't. We all know what he was doing. However, he didn't hurt him. And you, I don't think you can punish a guy for, for that, okay? And everybody wants him punished. It was a punk, cheap shot move. And he's the new Grayson Allen. Because we'll be watching him now. Next time it happens, we'll go, oh, oh, there's Grayson Allen again, tripping a guy. No, there's there's Cash Daniel trying to hurt a guy again. So it's going to hurt his reputation going forward, and you might see something go happen. But, it, again, he didn't hurt him. Um, the interesting part of it is that TV station, after it was all over Twitter early this morning, pulled it off, their website. Now, I don't know if that was a call from uh, – ESPN has said, hey, you can't show highlights of – I think you can do that. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Or was it Bob, uh, Mark Stoops or Kentucky uh, athletic director Mitch Barnhart that said, hey, guys, you know, give us a break here. Or was it the SEC? I don't know who made them pull it down. Maybe that will come out later. Uh, but interesting. And that's the end of it. It was a cheap shot punk move, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on this guy from now on, Okay. And again, I talked to Mike McGinnis about this, and he said, you know, a play like that, even if, if the referee had seen it, he would probably say, hey, you better not ever do that again or I'm throwing you out of the game. He probably wouldn't throw a flag because he didn't actually hurt him. Now, we all know the Darnell Dockett thing. You know, there's no point bringing that back up. We all know what happened there. And not only did he knock Ernest Graham out of that game and the Tennessee game the next week, but he tried to step on Rex Grossman's hand with his cleats, which was obvious. And that guy was a punk, too. We move on. Uh, sad note, and you know, it seems like there's a sad note every week. We, uh, I don't know how much we talked about Rick Okasik dying um, earlier in the week. I don't know if we got into that. Certainly, I, I mentioned it in my column. Uh, I was a Cars fan. I wasn't a huge Cars fan, but I liked a lot of their songs. And he was a great producer as well. In fact, he uh, he produced the uh, Weezer's Blue album, which is one of my favorite albums. Um, so you ought to go listen to some Weezer and some Cars in honor of him. But today found out, in fact, Coach Spurrier told me this, uh, that Jimmy Dunn passed away. And uh, he was a quarterback in Florida and a coach, an offensive coordinator in Florida under Doug Dickey. Uh, I, and it's very uh, emotional for me because when I was a student at Florida, I used to – go up to the football offices and I you know this is back in the day when coaches weren't paranoid freaks and they all are now but and, and I, I I know that sounds like a really demeaning term but their paranoia drives me nuts but back then I, I as a student I got to know I, uh, some of the coaches and Jimmy Dunn I used to go to his office all the time and I would go there and we would talk football we would talk life and we would talk a lot of things and he had these little football men on his uh, desk and and he would show me plays. I mean, he had the whole 11 on 11 and we would, he would show me what they were doing, what they were trying to run and how they were going to run it. They were going to run the wishbone. They, they had just started doing the wishbone and how, how it worked. And we would talk all the time. Uh, the last time I saw Jimmy was when I did my book game of my life because uh, I met him down in Tampa and we did the interview down there. 
And Jimmy was um, was gracious as always, such a great person. And, um, you know, we talked about the FSU game. The FSU game was the one that was his game of my life because FSU didn't recruit him, questioned his character, and he, he was the MVP of the game. Uh, you can read that book if you if you have it. Go back and read that chapter uh, in honor of, of a great man, Jimmy Dunn. Very, very sad. It's been a rough season in terms of former Gator players passing away with Neron and, and Jimmy. Uh, makes me very sad. At any rate, um, I've got other things to talk about, obviously. We're going to bring on Matt Baker to talk about uh, college football in this state of Florida from the Tampa Bay Times. I want to mention one other thing. Um, Gator, the Gator Weekly, Gator Sports Weekly newsletter, um, you can go on there and click it. It's up in your upper right-hand corner on Gatorsports.com. And look, I get people who are complaining about subscriptions and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm just telling you, the information, okay? <laughs> I'm not. I'm just a messenger, but it, it's it's really a cool thing because you click on that and you get all the Gator Sports fed to you. Again, it's on the top right corner of the GatorSports.com website, and you're probably on here already because you're listening to the podcast. Go click on it and um, have fun. I think we're doing really good work. Robbie and I are busting our tails, okay? All right. It is time for me to take a break. When I come back, Matt Baker will join us from the Tampa Bay Times. You're listening to the Duly no- Noted Podcast, or the Duly No Podcast. Duly Yes Podcast. Duly Noted Podcast. Gatorsports.com. Zach's meets with hand-breaded chicken, fresh-made salads, and sauces from mild to wild. Stop by today. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Great pleasure to be joined by fellow AP poll voter and writer for the Tampa Bay Times, my good buddy Matt Baker. Matt, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Duly. Anytime, buddy. Um, Let's start out talking about Florida. And, of course, you know, you haven't covered Florida for a long time. You probably don't realize how big this rivalry once was <laughs> back in the '90s, and it was it was such an amazing game. It doesn't feel like that big a deal today, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, certainly growing up as a kid, I remember what a big deal Florida Tennessee was. Even you know when I was growing up in Indiana, that was one of the marquee games that you look for every year, and. So it still means something to me just because I'm I'm somewhat of a a college football history buff. But no, I mean, there's not as much buzz. I mean, Tennessee is a dumpster fire. I mean, when Jeremy Pruitt was comparing his team to the Titanic the other day, I felt bad for the Titanic. That's not fair (laughs) to that poor ship. Um, But I I will say this. It's given us some pretty darn good games here lately, hasn't it? I mean, the the bomb, the the Callaway... um, the bomb from from Franks, uh, you know, even Florida losing up in Knoxville a couple of years ago and ending that streak with the, the whole duck pulling a truck kind of thing. That was still a, a very uh, entertaining game in some ways. So the rivalry has definitely lost some sizzle, but it's, it's still fun for us. Yeah, you know, uh, I was talking earlier about you know there is there are reasons for Florida to be concerned about this game. And, and, of course, one of them has to do with the the players that are not only Kyle Trask for a start, but, you know, C.J. Henderson, iffy at best, Zaniga, iffy at best. Um, 
And I, I don't know if either one of them is going to play. And, of course, you lose Donovan Steiner for the first half of the game. Yeah, and, I mean, defensive back going into the season, uh, the, the whole secondary was a, a, an issue uh, or a, an area of concern just because there wasn't a lot of depth. And then since then, obviously, you know, Chris Steele transferred in the offseason and Edwards and Huggins. And then you, you've got – uh, the injuries that, that are kind of piling up. And like you said, Donovan Steiner being out for the first half because of uh, his, his targeting ejection against Kentucky. So if I felt confident at all in Tennessee's ability to, A, do anything, but B, more specifically, throw the ball and attack a, a secondary that's not very deep, I would have some, some reasons to be concerned for Florida. I just think Tennessee right now, they're so inept at just about everything. I mean, yeah, there are scenarios where the Gators lose with some, some bad some bad turnover luck and that sort of thing, but I, I think it says a lot that the Gators are down their starting quarterback and everything we just talked about, but are still two touchdown favorites against these guys. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, they do have really good receivers. Uh, you know, we'll see if, if they can get the ball to them, but that offensive line suspect, they got two freshmen starting, and you would think after last week, and I, I don't know about you, Matt, but probably the most surprising thing about that game was that Florida was unable to put pressure on Sawyer Smith, uh, as good as they've been, leading the nation in sacks. Yeah, I think that was that was one of the surprises, and I think kind of the, the flip side, too, is Florida's run game struggling as much as it did. I mean, Kentucky's been good along the, along both lines here for the last few years, so it wasn't I don't think it was a total shock necessarily, but you know, the, like you said, Florida didn't get enough pressure on a, a, the, the Troy transfer Sawyer-Smith. And on the other side, the Gators couldn't run the ball really effectively at all. And I think those are more causes for concern down the line maybe than they are for this Saturday. But you know, as, as we know, you know, Florida's not you – know, again, I, I think Florida wins this one by double digits next week against Towson. You know, that should be a blowout. But then after that, it starts getting real. I mean, with, yeah. with Auburn and LSU back-to-back and then at South Carolina, which by then maybe they'll have their act together with Holinsky at quarterback. So, yeah, those are those are issues that need to get addressed sooner rather than later if Florida's going to have a chance at making a run at, at Georgia and, and trying to win the East. Yeah, people always asking me about the Georgia game, and I'm like, I, I, I don't even know who's going to be playing quarterback for either team. I mean, you never know what could happen with Jake Fromm. So. Um, the uh, obviously you cover FSU too, um, and that at least they played, they showed up Saturday for that game. But I feel like if they don't beat Louisville uh, this week, uh, they may not be looking at a bowl again. I want you to think about what you just said, Dooley. <laughs> at least Florida State showed up. <laughs> you're, you're you're we're laughing, but. That's. I mean, you're right. At least they showed up. But that tells you everything about where this program is right now, because they are just. I mean, they're they're not very good at all. And I, I covered most of their first two games against Boise. You know, you can kind of look at them as a second half collapse, and that was that's accurate. But there were cracks showing in the first half too. Boise State was moving the ball effectively. I thought they were kind of gashing FSU's defensive yeah. line with the run game. They just were settling for field goals instead of touchdowns. But then. The second half, it slipped, and they were able to get touchdowns instead. And then against Louisiana Monroe, again, it was similar um, in that uh, ULM was able to do a better job running the ball and gashing that defensive front than they should have been able to do, at least with their starting running back. And, and then, uh, obviously, FSU was fortunate to, to get the missed extra point there at the end to, to win in overtime. But FSU, you know, the Noles are just 
a mess right now. Um, they were competitive at Virginia, but again, they screwed around in the fourth quarter. They're giving up 16 points a game in the fourth quarter uh, defensively, and that's that's fourth worst in the country. And I don't, I haven't seen much to make me think that problem's going to get better anytime soon. But your your point there on of them being in danger of missing a bowl, that's absolutely right. I mean, looking at the schedule right now, Louisville's in a mess. I mean, that's what happens when you hire Bobby Petrino. You, he ends up wrecking the program, and that's a terrible Arkansas pun intended. He'll have some highs, and then he'll wreck the program and leave it as a mess for the next guy. He did that so at Louisville Atlanta. <laughs> exactly, and he did it at Arkansas. I mean, that's just what he's—that's just what he's done. So you look at the schedule. Louisville is is in a, is in some trouble right now. So you would think that should be a win. And NC State's kind of a coin flip. Clemson and Wake Forest on the road are both—you know—Clemson's great. Wake Forest is pretty good. Um, Syracuse, Miami, I think we'll have its act together by then. At BC, that's the the the, uh, the red uh, bandana game, which is really special for them up there in Chestnut Hill. Alabama State and then Florida. So as I'm looking at the schedule, I see Alabama State as a definite win. Other than that, it's either losses or some toss-ups. And they're going to start having to win some toss-ups starting Saturday if they're going to restart their bowl streak at one. You know, you mentioned Miami, and I – when we left that game down in Orlando, I told people, I said, Miami is still really good. I like Miami's football team. They obviously made some mistakes. They'll get those cleaned up. And then they lose to North Carolina, and you're kind of like, maybe I wasn't right about them. I know it was a missed field goal at the end. This week, I can't believe you're not going to be there to see your, <laughs> your favorite head coach, Jim McElwain, bring his Chippewas in there. But uh, – their, their schedule's pretty soft, and I, and I think they can kind of get it turned around. But what, what do you think the future holds for this year for this Miami football team? Well, let's back, let's back up for a second and talk about Mac, if we can, for, for, for just a minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love the tone Reluctantly. of your voice. <laughs> um, you know, it's, if things were different, if Florida weren't playing Tennessee, I would absolutely go down there to see McElwain and trying to restart his head coaching career at Central Michigan. Um, but I'm going to give you a stat here that, that you'll be able to read a little more on TampaBay.com soon that I think there, there's a reason Florida fans should be thankful the McElwain thing ended the way that it did. And not just obviously with him getting gone and mulling getting in, but hear me out. He left early enough for Florida to start to get a big head, you know, big head start on its coaching search, right? Think about last, you know, th- that year as the first year of the early signing period. So much pressure on that with kids signing early. There was so much pressure on coaches to get their staff together to get the kids to sign early. And the later you were on that, the more trouble you were going to be in. And, and Florida, because McElwain, that whole mess happened you know, late October, early November, that gave Florida a big head start, which would help them get mullet. So here's, here's my stat for you. Um, in that 2017-2018 coaching carousel. Coaches who are hired by their new school, Power 5 coaches hired by their new school, by December 1st are 40 and 38 right now. Guys hired after December 1st, 39 and 52. Mm. So there, to me, there's definitely something there about having that early start in terms of building the success early, given how the early signing period has gone and everything else. So I think Florida fans, you know, this is a good week to talk about McElwain for a little bit. I think Mac deserves uh, a little bit of a thank you from, from Florida for at least making this making the mess happen 
earlier rather than happening at and end of November. Yeah, thank goodness he talked about death threats that day in the press conference, which is still one of the most <laughs> stunning things I'd ever heard in our press conference, and I've heard a lot. Um, before we let you go, um, we both vote in the AP poll. We talked a little bit about UCF and where we put them. Um, you know, I, I was very impressed. I've been impressed with UCF all year. The the thing, the question I have is, it's one thing to play a Power Five team. It's another thing to play eight Power 5 teams, and that's why I still have a hard time valuing what they do. Now, I know they got another one with Pitt coming up, but um, that's two, and that's going to be it for the year until they get to a bowl game. It's still hard for me to figure out, as good as they are offensively, and they're unbelievable with this freshman quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, I still have a hard time figuring out how to value them. I, I think that's, that's completely fair, Julie. Um Right now, I've got UCF at, uh, up at number 11 on my ballot. And, again, I think they're in kind of that probably Tier 3, Tier 4 mix with guys like Utah, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, teams that have shown something, but I have some hesitations for them as well. And given that UCF just kicked the crap out of Stanford, I, I felt that they deserved a big jump, and I moved them up to uh, up seven spots on my ballot. But But you're exactly right. Going forward, um, Stanford, I don't think is particularly good. The Pac-12 is, I think they're better than the ACC this year, um, but they're still not particularly strong, and Stanford is not what Stanford was a few years ago. Um, Pitt, I don't think is particularly good. I mean, I guess give them credit for hanging with Penn State last week, but I, I still don't think the Panthers are that great. And then that's when the schedule gets, <laughs> there, there's some good and some bad in the rest of, of UCF schedule, I mean. They play UConn in the Civil Conflict, the final edition of the Civil Conflict, by the way. <laughs> U- UConn is UConn's awful. Uh, they've got Cincinnati, Houston, who, who are, are, are pretty good. But then, you know, Tulsa's not that good. USF isn't very good. East Carolina is not good. Um, so as even though there's, you know, the, the ACC, for instance, is not what it was a couple of years ago, the ACC top to bottom is still better than the American. And UCF's schedule is still not going to be as good as Clemson. And Clemson is going to get, you know, kind of lit up a little bit for, for how poor their, their league is. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of hard to, to figure out. It's unfortunate for UCF that Stanford is down this year. But some of that is the night's scheduling philosophy. If you only want home and homes, you're not going to get a Bama. You're not going to get a Florida. You're not going to get a Georgia and the teams that almost every year are going to be really, really good. You're going to have to settle for the Pitts and Stanford and hope that maybe the year that you get them, they end up having a 10-win season or something like that. And more likely they're going to be eh, 7-8 wins, something like that. Yeah, and you're going to get them because they want to recruit in Orlando. They want to have the state of Florida as part of the footprint. And uh, I think Florida knows where Orlando is. They don't have to to play play a home-and-home with them. But – Correct. Yeah. All right. We uh, Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times. We appreciate his time. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay. Uh, back on the podcast. Thanks to Matt Baker and um, – Look for Tuesday. I'm going to have a nice story on the latest 
addition to the Gator basketball team, Kerry Blackshear, uh, Edgar Thompson, and I both got to sit down with him for about 25 minutes the other day. I, I'm telling you, I, I said this on the air the other day. If if Kerry Blackshear is as good a basketball player as he was during our interview with him in terms of being eloquent, in terms of being interesting, in terms of being polite and nice and realize he was with an elder statesman, <laughs> if he's as good at, at playing as he is at, Florida's winning the national title. It's over, man. He is unbelievable and a uh, great kid and great story to tell. So uh, that'll be in Tuesday's paper. Yeah, because Media Day is Tuesday, and then we're going to go out and I'll – I don't know what I'm going to do Tuesday. i got to figure that out. Um, i got a couple ideas. Anyway, let's talk spreads. But before, before we get to spreads, the um, I'm, I'm going to be interested in watching this 24-7 thing on HBO. HBO does something. You know it's good. Every one of their series are great. They do everything the right way put a lot of money into it. And, of course, Florida is going to be involved. It's going to be the week of the Towson game. It'll give you an inside look at it. But it's an inside look at the Towson game. Um, I'm not sure that that's overwhelming. But it's good for Florida. I don't know what happened with Alabama. Remember, Alabama was supposed to be the hard knocks, uh, one of the hard knocks teams for this uh, event. I, I, I probably should have read up and, to see if why that didn't work out. And I think Florida's smart to make it that game because if you make it too big a game, um, it may not end up good. It may not it may be good TV, but it may not end up good for your program. The, the bottom line is this is a recruiting tool more than anything. Interestingly, Penn State is doing it for Purdue, so it's a, a conference game. Uh Arizona State's doing it for Washington State, another conference game and a big game. And Washington State, which gets to be on there twice, in a way, they're doing it for Colorado. So uh, I don't think it's going to be kicking off with a big bang with the Florida Towson, but it'll be interesting to see inside these guys because we don't get that much of an inside look into the the football team, into the football players. We get a insight. We can get inside the programs of some of the other sports where you kind of know guys a little better. But football, it's pretty much you get them Monday and Tuesday. Don't talk to them any other time. You get Mullen on Monday, and you get him on the conference call Wednesday, and that's it, and after the game. Um, so it, I, I'll be watching it. I think all of you guys will as well. Let's look at some spreads. We need, we need a like a, um, I don't know, some kind of a song for the let's look at some spreads. Or maybe not. Well, I'm going to get – Brad to work on that. Notre Dame is getting 14 and a half at Georgia. Okay, so this is a weird world we live in. I'm not saying it's not right. In fact, if I was going to bet, I'd bet Georgia on that. But if I told you 10 years ago, hey, you know what? We're going to have a college football playoff. There are going to be four teams. Notre Dame's going to be one of them in 2018. And then they're going to be undefeated going to play Georgia in Athens. What would you think the spread would be? Uh, two? Nah, but everybody knows Notre Dame uh, at Georgia. It's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere, night game. I don't think anybody gives Notre Dame much of a chance. I think it's going to be fun, and the great fun about it is I get to watch it. Yay! Uh, so I'm excited about that. 
Friday night, we actually have good games Friday night, my Boise State Broncos, and they are my Boise State Broncos. And you know why they're my Boise State Broncos. And I do have a t-shirt that came just the other day. I believe it was Tuesday night uh, from Boise State, which I've been wearing proudly around. I'm not going to get into the reasons. I think you know if you listen to this podcast at all. Uh, But that's a Friday night game at Southern Cal. Utah's a four-point favorite. Going to be interested in watching that game. It's it's been a little bit crazy out there with Lynn Swan going down, and now their their president saying, "I don't want Urban Meyer to be my coach," and they may say, "Well, we don't want you to be president anymore." Um, I you know the loss last week certainly didn't help Clay Helton's chances, and this is like probably the best team they'll play the rest of the year. You can make an argument about Notre Dame. We'll see after Saturday. But Utah's really good, plays great defense. I can't wait to watch that game. And then Boise State plays Air Force, which just knocked off Colorado. All Both those games are at 9 o'clock. And I still only have one TV in my office because my daughter took my other one. I've got to get a second TV by Friday. I've just got to do it. I have a little TV, but I can't get it to work. So we'll work on that. Um Michigan, Michigan's getting three at Wisconsin. And I will tell you, I'm not going to say that's the lock of the week. I'm not going to say that's the lock of the week. I think Michigan probably wins that game. Wisconsin has been really good. The opposition hasn't been great. And I know everybody's basing Michigan's problems on – the way they now they didn't play great in the first game, but certainly the way they had barely hung on against Army. But Army's hard to play. But they've had a week off. If I was Wisconsin, it'd be scaring the crap out of me that they had that week off. Um, Wisconsin's really good. We're gonna find out about Wisconsin. You know what? It's it's like the the perfect game. We're gonna find out about both teams, and then and then we'll move on from there. So um, I think Michigan will win that game. And I think I picked them in my column. I hope I did now that I've said that on the podcast. Uh, Cal is getting to at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is not very good. The funny thing is Ole Miss's defense, they finally have improved it, at least basing on basing it on what I've seen. I watched a lot of their game against Memphis. Um, their defense kind of won the game at, at against um, Arkansas. Um their offense has had a trouble getting going. Like I'm not a big Matt Corral guy, um, and I I think that's part of the problem. And Cal's not bad. I I, I would not. I would so, stay so far away from this game. I would not touch it with a ten foot pole. There's a nice cliche. Uh, Florida minus fourteen against Tennessee. Look, Robbie Robbie insists this game's coming down to the fourth quarter, and that's if Robbie says it, he's usually often sometimes right. I would not get near this game. Uh, Kentucky getting six at Mississippi State. That's a little surprising. Look, watching that Kentucky team with my own eyes at the game, you, and I, I, I truly believe this, you can tell such a difference when you – like, for example, last year when I saw FSU play Florida and I was there for the game, I was stunned. Okay, at, at I got why they were five and six going into that game. Okay, You watch it on TV – Sometimes you don't quite get the same feeling. But watching Tennessee in person, I mean, I'm sorry, Kentucky in person, 
I uh, I was like, that's a good football team. They just made too many mistakes. They've got some issues in the secondary. Maybe they can shore them up. And I'm not sure Mississippi State can take advantage of them. I'm picking Mississippi State. I would not give the six points. Um, I just think Mississippi State will find a way at home to win that game. But it's a it's a gut feeling. It's not anything scientific or analytical. Um, the game of the day for me, I know Michigan-Wisconsin is going to be the game of the day for a lot of people. But mine is Auburn and A&M. Auburn getting three against Texas A&M. Um, and I think a lot of that is based on a lack of faith in Bo Nix, who, while he had that great final two series against Oregon, hasn't been great. And um, A&M, Kellen Mond hasn't been great either. Uh, this could be like one of those 21-17 games and it'll be a great game to watch. Hopefully, in fact, my plan, because I know you care about my plan so much, <laughs> it's it's. You're, you're, please don't stay awake tonight thinking about my plan. Okay, I know it's it's going to bother you, but once we get all the interviews done, is to get into that lounge area up in the press box and make sure that game's on so that I can keep track of it because I just want to see what happens. I am such a college football geek that it's not enough to, to find out what happened in a game. I want to watch it. I want to see it happen. I want to I want to feel the emotions of everybody on the field. I know they're fired up out in A&M. I talked to some people out there today, and um, I would not bet that game either, though. I stay away from that one. Nebraska was a seven-and-a-half-point favorite at Illinois, and, and I look, I'm sure there was a lot of wise guys who went, oh, let me have some of that, and they did, and now it's up to 13. And a half, 13 in the hook. So that's a big movement from from opening line. Um, LSU was a 19-point favorite over Vandy. It bumped up to 24, another big move. It's going to be an LSU crowd. We all know that. I mean, it's they, I would say 80-20 probably. And Vandy hasn't been very good. I, I think that's a day game, too. I don't know that I'm going to be able to watch any of that game, but I'm sure it'll be on the SEC network uh, at some point. I'm, I'm going to find a way to tape it. because And I think LSU is going to throttle them. With the offense LSU has, Vandy's defense has been terrible. I, I'm looking forward. But I just want to see both those teams play that game. I mean, obviously, they both are on Florida's schedule. Uh, South Carolina's getting nine at Mizzou. Seems like a lot of points. Um, Missouri, it's still September, so you don't know what you're going to get with these guys. South Carolina, I just I, – I don't – look, I don't think Will Muschamp's in any danger, but I think they're in danger of not making a bowl game. And then uh, Okie State, five-and-a-half point underdog at Texas. That ought to be a really fun game to watch. I think Texas will win. But, I, 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 again, I'd stay away from that. So what is my lock bet of the week? I don't know that I have one. Maybe it's this game. We talked about it before. Central Michigan at Miami. Central Mish is getting 50. 50. Half a hundred. Jim McElwain's not going to lose by 50, is he? Maybe that's the lock of the week. Central Michigan in the 50. Take it. Go with it. Run with it. See where it takes you. Never bet on Jim McElwain. 
That's another rule. All right. It's time for three things. It's time for three things. All right, number one. Um, it's funny. I did. You guys probably read in my picks column if you read it um, a, a few weeks ago. I did the ten most annoying things about college football, and I've been annoyed since, and even come up with more annoying things. Uh, and and you say, well, I thought you loved the game. I do, but I want to fix it. I'm I'm always trying to fix college football and make it better because I think college football could be perfect. I really do. I don't think it ever will be because the NCAA is involved. Paranoid coaches are involved. Lazy voting is involved. But I'm I'm going to keep trying to fix it and make it as close to perfect as I can. This was the one I, I – so I gave them 10 new ones at the Ocala Quarterback Club. And, again, thanks so much for hosting me down there. I had a blast. And one of them was this one. Heisman – September Heisman favorites. Please stop with the favorites. There's no favorites. You know who's a favorite? Nobody. I have no earthly idea who I'm going to vote for. Do I have it narrowed down to some guys? No. Chubba Hubbard may end up being on my ballot. Oklahoma State running back. Leading the nation in rushing. Who? Who? Let's see what he does against Texas. He may get on my ballot. I don't know. And that's, that's what bothers me, though. That's why there's a lot of lazy voting. Because guys are already... Here's my Heisman. Now, I know people have to fill content on the website. We're no different. We are doing Heisman favorites, and I will not allow that in September at my newspaper. Okay? Not that I own the paper or have any real control over that, but I'll put uh, my foot down. Okay, number two, who did it worse? Who wore it worse, I guess we could say. Like, uh, who wore it better, you know? Eh, you guys don't watch Bravo? Neither do I. My wife does, though. Was it Stephen A. Smith for saying that Kellen Moore was such an upgrade in quarterback, or I'm sorry, in offensive coordinator play than over Chan Gailey, former Gator, as we all know, running uh, quarterback? Um, or because Chan, here's the thing, Chan Gailey hadn't been their offensive coordinator in like a decade, so that was just silly. Or was it Kellen Cowherd for? In, he had an interview with Urban Meyer in which he asked him, how did you let Joe Burrow get out of the state of Ohio? I didn't. I signed him, and he played with us, and he stayed with us for three years. And then he left. Oh, 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 you got Oh, you got First of all, in, in the latter case, national guys should never talk about college football. They really shouldn't. When they do, they make idiots of themselves because they don't care. They care about the NFL – and the NBA, Tiger Woods. Stay with what you know. You start talking about college football, you're going to look like a buffoon. Now, we have college football people who know what they're talking about. We have the Herb Streets, the McShays, Cole Kubelik, who's as good as they come, especially talking about offensive line. I'm saving Cole for Auburn week because he played at Auburn uh, for the podcast. Tony Barnhart, people like that. We have those guys, okay? They need to stay away. In the case of Stephen A. Smith, they just stretch him too much. And it's easy just to make a huge mistake because you haven't done your research or haven't paid attention to something. 
And and I don't blame Stephen A, so I'm blaming Colin Coward more. And I like Colin. Colin says things sometimes that I go, you know, he's he's right. I never thought of it that way. Not too many guys can do that. And finally, number three, congratulations to Becky Burley on her 500th win. I know it's been a struggle the last couple of years, but uh, good luck, Becky. Uh, I think they've got it. They open SEC play this week with LSU. Um, so good luck on that. And I hope I hope you turn things around because I think the world of you, you have been nothing but accommodating to me, nice to me. Whenever I've needed anything, when I pick up a phone and call you, when Abby Wambach was being celebrated, you you were there for her last game, and you picked up the phone on going to the Acme Oyster House and gave me a 10-minute interview. I love you to death, man. So good luck and congratulations on number 500. That's going to do it for the Duly Noted Podcast. Uh, went a little long again, but that's the way I am. Yeah, that's the ticket. I was going to tell a story about Changeli. Can I, do I have time? Can I sneak it in real quick? Chan Gailey, I don't know how many of you know this, but they put a rule in like in the in the early 70s where you could run in a play and then run right back out. And uh, the, the play, it wasn't designed to do that, but the way that the rule was written, you could – Bear Bryant's the guy who figured it out. Bear Bryant, every rule is written around Bear Bryant eventually. But you could run a guy in and then run him out. And – Chan Gailey lost his job at quarterback. He wasn't really going to play. He became that guy for Florida. He would literally they give him the play. He'd run it in. He'd tell it to the quarterback, and he'd run back out. I always found that fascinating. I talked to him about it one day when he was still a coach. All right, that's going to do it. We'll end it now. Thanks a lot for listening in. Appreciate everybody for, for uh, clicking on and uh, for all the nice words. I appreciate it. We'll be back Tuesday. We'll talk about the Tennessee-Florida game. It'll be interesting, I promise you that. Until then, this is Pat Dooley, the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep, I am way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's or order at zaxby's.com. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the Humidor, going the distance for fine cigars.